Before we begin this morning, I want to, first of all, thank Jim Rickard for preaching in my stead last Lord's Day morning. And I believe that I need to correct uh, an inaccuracy that he gave you about my golf game. I am far worse than what Jim described to you, and that was evidenced yesterday in our golf tournament from the Bible Church up at Fairfield Bay, and I'm appreciative of the other three men who played in my foursome and who carried me all 18 holes yesterday. I was gone last Sunday, and that was the reason for which Jim Rickard was able to preach and then give that very, very health, uh, a helpful seminar on wills and trusts. And I was gone to Jupiter, Florida, along with Todd Murray, to install Pastor Jerry Ragg as the new pastor of Grace Emanuel Bible Church in Jupiter, Florida, which is a Palm Beach suburb. And when Jerry called and asked me if I would come, he said, I'm also presently without a pastor of music and worship, and so we'd like Todd to come as well and to lead in worship and to sing. And I said, I'll come on one condition, that you keep your hands off of him. And he promised me that he would do that, and so I have routed all of Todd's phone calls to my phone here at the church <laughs> to anticipate that call coming at a later time. And we had a wonderful time in the Word and challenging that congregation and challenging Jerry as he embarks upon his new ministry there. And I am always so excited to return back to the pulpit of the Bible Church of Little Rock and continue to try to be faithful in my exposition of Scripture. And I want you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. We're continuing in our series entitled, Bad Company Corrupts Good Morals, or Stop Hanging with the Wrong Crowd. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 19 give us that particular topic, and we want to be faithful to exposit its truths along with other Proverbs that we find in chapters 10 through 31 that might elucidate that particular theme, and that is that we must be very careful as to who we hang around with. And I've borrowed, of course, that particular phrase from the Apostle Paul, bad company corrupts good morals. And you remember last time that we spoke about this particular topic, we developed for you verses 8 and 9 of Proverbs chapter 1. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. And I said for you last time that as you occupied yourself as a parent, as a teacher of your children, what you must do is take the opportunity that you have to develop the ministry of your speech to your children. And I made a massive point last time about the use of our words. 
And I said that the most important aspect of the Christian's life is his speech, his use of words, and specifically in this context, how you teach your children, how you teach as a parent. And I would widen it, of course, to refer to anybody who teaches, whether it's your physical children or your spiritual ones. The all-important task of anybody's Christian life is how they use their words. Because teaching is not just what you do publicly, it's not what you do in terms of your instruction in a Bible study or in some other platform as that. It is also the very conversation that you have with people at all times. And you remember from last time I said that verse 8 is key because it says, Hear my son. That means you're going to be listening to someone speak, your father, physical or spiritual. And, of course, the end of verse 8, And do not forsake your mother's teaching. Again, the implication is that you are going to be hearing something from someone else. It's going to be words, teaching, instruction. And I stopped with verses 8 and 9, because, number one, there's so much packed in it that occupied all of our time, but also because verses 8 and 9 seem to be a title a heading, an overarching statement that give us the rest of this particular section from verses 10 to 19. It's almost as though this is a heading. This is what you are to do, and here's the title. And then verses 10 to 19 elucidate verses 8 and 9. And I want to return to this matter of what it means for you to use your mouth to use your words. I told you last time that I had come across, as other elders and deacons in our midst, as we studied it together, a wonderful book by Paul David Tripp called War of Words, subtitled Getting to the Heart of Our Communication Struggles. And I found it to be a very convicting book. And in fact, yesterday at the golf tournament, one of you came up to me and said, My wife heeded your advice. She has gone out and purchased that book, and now I'm not happy with you. (laughs) And I said, it is convicting, isn't it? And it is, because what Paul Tripp, who is a biblical counselor with the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation in Laverock, Pennsylvania, says in this book, is that everything that we do as Christians is somehow related to talk somehow related to words, either what God says to us through His Word or what we say to others through our words. And as we come into this section of verses 10 to 19, the concept of words is again very prominent. Look at verse 10. My son... If sinners entice you, do not consent. And then notice verse 11. If they, what? Say. You see? Words. If they say. Words are important. Words are critical. 
Words can be used for good, or words can be used for evil. Paul Tripp says in chapter 2 of this book, again, very, very helpfully, these very important words. Listen to them. Into the perfect world of the garden, that is the garden of Adam and Eden, of Adam and Eve in Eden, into the perfect world of the garden came the voice of the serpent. For the first time, the position, the authority, and the very words of God were being challenged. For the first time, words were spoken that were not consistent with God's standard and design. Satan spoke, and with his words, the simple world of human communication became a confusing arena of sin and struggle. For the first time, the authority of God is challenged. Many of the problems we experience when talking with one another emerge from the fact that we have ourselves usurped the authority of God. When we say what we want to say, when and how we want to say it, we speak as if we we are in charge and as if we have the right to use words to advance our purpose and to achieve what would make us happy. He goes on to say, many of our problems with words would be solved if we simply paused and asked ourselves how God would evaluate and respond to the present situation. Good, godly communication is always dependent on truth. Lies, falsehood, and deception always subvert it. Lies not only distort facts, but they destroy the trust necessary for people to talk with one another. Every word we speak is rooted either in the truth or in a lie. Most of our communication problems come because we deceive, distort, and manipulate with our words. No longer do we simply reflect the image of God with our words, we also reflect the image of the serpent. No longer do we consistently speak up to God's standard. We often speak down to the serpents. No longer are our words a faithful picture of God's design. Too often they picture Satan's deceit. He goes on to say, We need to humbly confess that there is trouble with our talk. We have not spoken in a way that upholds God's standard and design. We often have descended to the standard of the father of lies, the one who deceives, divides, and destroys Satan himself. With this admission, we confess that our communication struggle is not primarily a struggle of technique, but a struggle of the heart. Our war of words is not with other people. It is a battle within true, isn't it? You can trace every sin, every wrong, every fault that comes along through the use of words. And in Proverbs chapter 1, the faithful teacher, whether it's Solomon or you or me or whoever it is, must use words wisely. We must communicate the truth, and not a lie. I told you last time that the first outline point that we find in verses 8 and 9 
is that we must wear our parents' godly counsel continuously. That's what it says. We wear it in this sense, that if we heed our father's instruction and our mother's teaching and not forsake it, he says in verse 9, it's a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. He's saying it's almost as though you wear the symbol of godly words and wise things around your neck as a promotion of God Himself. You wear it as a badge of honor, just like someone would wear a beautiful brooch or someone would wear a nice golden necklace or a necklace of pearls or someone who would wear a lovely hat and they would be communicating something. And in the spiritual dynamic, it's a communication that I am, in fact, listening to my father. I'm not forsaking the teaching of my mother. I'm faithful to them because when they speak, I listen. Because what they speak is the very language of God himself. Wear your parents' godly counsel continually. But I also said to you that there was a second outline point in verses 8 to 19, and that was this to withstand the enticement of sinners' words. To not only wear your parents' godly counsel continually, not just symbolically around your neck, but having it in your mind, wearing it in that place, so that you might respond in a godly way, but also there's a negative command that we must obey in this text, and that is this, to withstand the enticement of sinners' words. Verses 10 to 14. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause, let us swallow them alive like shield, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. Now, this is important, Christians. One of the things that we should see bequeathed to us is the legacy of sound words, either from our parents, physical or spiritual. We should receive the very teaching of God through the instrumentality of those people. You ought to praise God, thank God for godly moms and dads who have been able to teach you the truth of Scripture. It's not that way with all of us, is it? But thank God for a church. Thank God for preaching. Thank God for a local body of Christians and a spiritual family who week by week proclaim to us the truth of the Word of God so that even if we do not receive it from our own parents, we can receive it from our spiritual parentage. We can obey the things that we are told in their speech to us. This is a second command in this text. Do you see it in verse 10? My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. It has to do with what someone says. You see what he's trying to guard his son or daughter against? If, verse 11, they say. It's a matter of words. It's a matter of somebody's speech. This is an important element in this passage. Because it is first what people say around you that tends to entice you to do evil. It's usually what someone says first to you that wedges 
a foot in the door to your mind. It's not always the action of a person. It may be in some cases, but it often starts with the speech. It often starts with the words that people use. And I would dare say that in verses 10 to 14 of our text this morning, the entire temptation discussed there involves what the sinner is saying to the person. That's what the father is saying. My son, I want to guard you against what sinners are going to tell you. And boy, all of us would say to ourselves, we want to do as much of that as we can when we're in the home because we know when our kids leave the home, guess what they're going to hear? They're going to hear all of the stuff of the world. They're going to be open to all of the things that the world says is their value system, what they love. And if you can begin in those early years to withstand the initial words of a person, you can go a long way in defending yourself against the attacks of the world. And by the way, the language used in verse 10 is very graphic. Notice it. If sinners entice you... The word for sinners has the idea behind it of someone who is a moral misfit, someone who is a criminal in what he does. He's unfit morally to be the kind of friend you would want to hang around. The actual word used for sinners is the Hebrew word hataim, and it speaks of professional criminals, a gang of robbers whose practice it is to look for specific ways to perform evil deeds. Solomon goes on to say that these thieves are all about enticing you. Entice. That's a very suggestive word, isn't it? It's actually tied to the Hebrew root word that's used in verse 4 to describe the simple or the naive person. It comes from that word. It means to allure, to persuade, to seduce. And that's the trade of robbers. That's the trade of criminals. That's the trade of evil talkers. They're all about enticing or persuading or seducing you to do evil with them. I want you to notice in verses 10 to 14 that there are two elements of the speech of these sinners as they entice you to do evil. One is in verses 11 and 12, and we could call it the talk of murder and treachery. The talk of murder and treachery. Verses 11 and 12. And then in verses 13 and 14, we see the talk of materialism and greed. So, what Solomon is doing is he's creating a scenario in his son's mind as a warning, negatively speaking, as a warning, so that when he goes out into that very wicked world, He's going to know what to avoid because his father has already told him what they're all about. He's already told him, this is what they're going to say to you. Boy, what a wise father who says, I'm going to tell you in advance, son, what they're going to be saying to you so that you can be ready and that you can withstand the enticement of these sinners' words. And he talks, first of all, in verse 11 about the talk of murder and treachery. If they say, come with us, Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. 
Verse 12, Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole, as those who go down to the pit. Boy, that's a graphic description of the wicked. And the wicked are all about pleasing themselves, and they will stop at nothing to fulfill their own desires, even if it means murder and treachery. They want to allure, to entice, to persuade you with what they say. See, notice, at the very entry point, it's not what you're seeing in the actions of these men, it's what they're saying to you before the actions come about. If they say, and you know what that is, they're creating a scenario in your mind through your imagination about how fun, about how daring, about how interesting about how provocative it would be to be involved in these things. It's enticing you. It's bringing your sinful flesh, your attitudes, your thinking to a very, very visceral level. Oh, wouldn't it be so good? Wouldn't it be so daring? Wouldn't it be so fun? Wouldn't it be so provocative for us to be involved in these things? Come with us. Let us lie in wait for some unsuspecting, innocent person, and then when they don't even know what's happening, we'll ambush them without cause. We'll swallow them alive and put them in the place of the dead. That means killing them. Murder. Treachery. Commentator David Hubbard writes this, Who of us can say that he or she has felt no tug of attraction, no glint of envy upon hearing stories of wealthy criminals, flamboyant desperados, or fast-living gangsters? Which of us has not silently cheered for the robbers in some police stories we have read or seen? There is enough rebellion in all of us to lure us to look sympathetically at a life of waywardness, particularly if we can keep from getting caught." a heart that meditates about destruction. What a misuse of our human ability to think and choose. Our hearts or minds were made to frame prayers, memorize scripture, write poems, plan acts of love, compose symphonies, design buildings, discover medicines. Yet the evil people in Proverbs use that God-given capacity for plots of violence. Whose cattle do they rustle? Whose house could they loot? Whose caravan could they hijack? Whose reputation could they ruin? Whose blood could they spill? And exercise in emptiness it was to make common cause with such perverted minds. And beloved, this is why the Proverbs are so practical for us. Do we have to do anything to apply what I've just said? We all know that temptation. Whether it's watching a television or a movie and we're seeing some kind of violence occurring with especially a movie screen that's 18 feet high with 18 feet people who look so daring and so desperado-like that it looks fun and titillating and, and very provocative. Oh boy, what would it be like if I had that kind of power, if I had a lethal weapon in my hand, if I were able to do the kinds of things that would wield the kind of power that that person has, what would it be like? 
Well, I'll tell you what it would be like. It would be like the opposite of what God says. It would be the opposite of what God says. He says to us, His words to us are, This is the way of love. This is the way of peace. This is the way of ministry. And all of those things are the opposite of that. I want you to notice that embedded within this particular text in the Proverbs are other Proverbs from chapter 10 on that speak of this very same thing. And I want you to note how many times these things are mentioned. How many times this exact theme, this topic of the words of the violent man, the words of the wicked man, and how we're supposed to be repelled by it, how it's supposed to be the opposite of our words and actions. And I'm just going to take you through. I don't want you to be frustrated, but again, in an effort to try to exposit all of the Proverbs for us, I simply started in chapter 10 where some of those random Proverbs begin, and I simply did my own Bible study about this theme. And I began to be incredibly impacted myself about how many times and in what varied ways the Proverbs speaks of this topic of not being enticed by sinners and their words. Look with me, first of all, in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23. Proverbs 10, 23. Now, if you don't look at all of these passages, at least write them down and look them up later. Proverbs 10, 23. We're going to go quickly through several of them so that our time will be maximized, but I want you to at least write them down. Proverbs 10, 23. And I want you to have in your frame of reference the very text of Proverbs chapter 1 and what Solomon is telling his son. My sinners, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Proverbs 10.23 Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. Can you see the opposite ideas there? Wisdom. Understanding. That's what we're supposed to be involved with. Not wickedness. And yet a person who is wicked and who does wickedness, it's like sport to them. It's like a game. That's why Solomon is wise when he says, Son, don't be involved in that. Even though if a sinner comes to you and says, it's just like a game. Don't listen. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to those words. Hear something different when they tell you what they tell you. In fact, hear something that is the opposite of what they tell you. They tell you it's a sport, it's not a game. It's real life. And if you do it, if you do wickedness, you're a fool. Proverbs eleven twenty seven. He who diligently seeks good seeks favor. But he who seeks evil, evil will come to him. That's a proverbial way of saying, if you don't want to fall, don't walk where it's slippery. If you want to be involved in evil, then go to the closest evil you can find, and believe me, it will come to you. That's what he's saying. Proverbs 12.2 A good man will obtain favor from the Lord, but he will condemn a man who devises evil. It's as though Solomon could say in Proverbs 1, My son, 
If you happen to be around anyone who is devising evil presently, run, flee. Why? Because God will condemn such a man. And when you flee, you will go toward the Lord, away from evil, and what you will find there is favor, grace. That's the Old Testament word for grace. You'll find grace there, blessing, favor. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsels, read words there, read sayings, the words of the wicked are deceitful. If you think like a righteous man, your thoughts will be just. If you listen to the words or the counsel of the wicked man, your words, your actions will be deceitful. Verse 6, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. That sounds a lot like Proverbs 1, doesn't it? The wicked and his words lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. So you won't be delivered if you speak wicked words, but if you speak righteous words, then the proverbial statement is that you'll be delivered. Look at verse 13. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips but the righteous will escape from trouble. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you would like to escape from trouble? Would that be true of anyone here? Well, it would be a, it'd be a real prayer request for me to escape from trouble, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you want to say to yourself and to your God and to your family, Lord, deliver me from trouble? Well, you're not going to if you hang around with someone who is ensnared by the transgression of his own lips, and that because he's an evil man. Look at verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. Words, how important are they? You want to have a good counselor? You'll have joy if he's a counselor of peace. You want to be hanging around the evil and devising evil with them, you're certainly not going to have or live a peaceful life. Verse 21, No harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Why? Verse 22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight. Verse 26, The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. You guide your neighbor by talking to them. You counsel them. You speak words to them. And if you speak God's words, righteous words, it's going to be a guide for you and your neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray, including, of course, their words. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 2. From the fruit of a man's mouth he enjoys good, but the desire of the treacherous is what? Violence. Boy, I just love these little pithy statements. I mean, you, you really don't have to make much comment on them, even though I do. These are the proverbs of life. Proverbs. These are, these are the things that can come before we act and speak. These are the things that are helping to guide us. And the fruit of a man's mouth is that he will enjoy good, but the desire of the treacherous is violence. Chapter 14, verse 7. 
and I know you're writing these down, Proverbs 14, 7. Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. Can it be any more simple than that? If you are continually in a relationship with a fool, you will not discern words of knowledge. Proverbs 15, 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. Verse 14. The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. Boy, are you overwhelmed as I am about words, counsels, says, teachings. That's what the Proverbs are about. It's telling us about our words. It's telling us the way to go. Verse 28, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Chapter 16, verse 27, A worthless man digs up evil, while his words are like scorching fire. Boy, can you see that word picture in your mind? That this blazing fire, it's hot. You just want to escape from it. It's burning. His words are like scorching fire because he's digging up evil, evil things to say, evil things to do. Verse 28, a perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Verse 29, a man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. This is, this is the equivalent of my son. If sinners entice you, do not what? Consent. Do not take the bait. Separate yourself from that kind of person. He's like a scorching fire. He's going to separate you and your intimate friend. He's going to entice you and lead you astray, and that's not good. Say no to that. Proverbs 17, verse 4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Well, that might be a memory proverb telling us the path of life. Verse 20, he who has a crooked mind finds no good, and he who is perverted in his language falls into evil. What words do you use? What is your talk? How is your speech going? How do you listen to others? What kind of language do you allow yourself to be party to? Proverbs 18, verse 6. A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. I don't want to be hit across the mouth. I don't want to be a foolish person, an unbelieving person, a naive person, a stupid person, a foolish, sinful, wicked person. I don't want to bring strife. I don't want my, my words to call for the blows of someone. Verse 7, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Even your soul is snared by the words you use, catching you like a trap. Chapter 19, verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. Why, wouldn't that be something we could tell our children? Listen, son or daughter, 
If you continually tell lies, you will not escape. It will catch up with you. Lies upon lies upon lies will mean ultimately that you will be ensnared with no way of extricating yourself, and ultimately you will bring yourself great ruin, great harm. Verse 9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will perish. You can go from the first verse to this verse. You will not only ensnare yourself, but you'll ultimately perish if you're a patterned lie speaker. Verse 27 of Proverbs 19, Cease listening, my son, to discipline, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A rascally witness makes a mockery of justice, and the mouth of the wicked spreads iniquity. I mean, I think what the Proverbs are doing is as it gives us these Proverbs in machine gun fashion, it's designed to shock our system. It's designed to show us in repeated statements over and over and over again. Think about the Hebrew mind when all of these Proverbs were put together like it is for us. And the the Hebrew reader would take his scroll and he would begin reading all of these Proverbs. And then he would begin memorizing this book. And then he would begin saying to himself these phrases over and over and over again. How many times are these repeated phrases working their way into the fabric of his mind? This this addition of these same kinds of sayings used in different formats, maybe different words, different phraseology, but ultimately the same idea so that we would be shocked into the reality of what evil is and what evil does. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. Again, the use of words. Fool's going to use his words in a quarreling manner. Verse 17, Bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. (laughs) That is so graphic. You ever tried to eat gravel before? Probably every child, including myself, at one time or another, foolishly has put a pebble or two in their mouths, right? They're very hard to chew, aren't they? Very hard. How about having a mouthful of gravel, and that's really just the same as a person who is trying to gain by violence or falsehood. It may seem sweet at the moment, but boy, in the end, it's like a mouthful of gravel. Proverbs 24, verse 1. Oh, I like this one. I like them all, but I like this one especially. Proverbs 24, 1. Do not be envious of evil men. See, that's part of that seducing, isn't it? That's part of that stimulation, that titillation. That's part of the idea of, boy, evil is sometimes really fun. Evil is sometimes really, really provocative. And I'm wondering what it would be like to do that or to get away with that or to not be caught doing this or that. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their minds devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. Verse 7. Wisdom is too exalted for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. In other words, since he doesn't have any wisdom, he has nothing to say to the leaders of the city. The gate is the idea of the leaders and they're planning the activity, the social activity of the city. The guy who doesn't have wisdom, he's a fool, and he doesn't even know what to say to the city leaders. He doesn't even know what to say at the gate. He has no leadership. Verse 8, one who plans to do evil, men will call a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. And then verse 28, 
Do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Proverbs 25, verse 18. Like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow. Boy, isn't that graphic. A club, it's almost like you have a club in one hand, you have a sword in the other, and you have a sharp arrow strapped to your back. That's just like a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. At any one point, with the falsehood that he's perpetrating, it's like you being struck with a club, it's like a sword going through your midriff, and it's like an arrow going through your temples. That's like a man who spreads lies against his neighbor. Chapter 26, verse 18. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and then says, Was I not joking? You see the humor in the proverb? The humor is designed to initially make us laugh and then hit us with the punchline. Was I not joking about such a thing? Oh, it was nothing really. And then it comes to us like a firebrand, like an arrow, like death. Verse 23. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross are burning lips and a wicked heart. Boy, it looks good on the outside. But on the inside, it's a wicked heart. Verse 24, He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. And then verse 28, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. And then just two more, Proverbs 28, 24. And this, this cuts right at the heart of what your parents are trying to do in teaching you, and you don't return it. Verse 24, He who robs his father or his mother and says it is not a transgression is the companion of a man who destroys. That's deceit. That's someone who, who swindles his mom and dad or treats them sinfully. And then when he is called to an account, he says, that wasn't a sin. That's not a transgression. And you know where he learned that? He was the companion of a man who destroys. And then chapter 30, verse 14. There is a kind of man whose teeth are like swords and his jaw teeth like knives to devour the afflicted from the earth and the needy from among men. Wow. I, I had an experience that reminded me of this verse. I was walking with Mike Driver just the other day. I was walking down a particular road, didn't hear anything, didn't see any kids, nothing. And as we were walking, right up behind me, this thing, I didn't even know what it was because I was walking the other way, sort of hit me from behind in the back of my leg. And I turned around, it was the biggest pit bull I'd ever, ever seen in my life. And I talked with Curtis Thomas later and he said, you know, I read about that and he said a pit bull, some of those that are that big, can put in the lockjaw position two or three thousand pounds of pressure without letting up. I stand before you today under the grace of God. God stopped that pit bull right in his place, in his providential care, so that I could stand before you today. Mike, am I speaking truth? 
It was a tremendous thing to turn around and see that pit bull in locked position, ready to pounce, and God was saying no. I tell you, if you look at this and you have teeth like the sword of a pit bull and his jaw teeth are like knives to, the, to devour the afflicted from the earth, or how about a seven-foot, 200-pound bull shark who takes an eight-year-old boy's arm completely off? How about the heroism of an uncle who goes into that water for the express purpose of grabbing that shark, wrestling him to the shore, putting a police baton in his jaws, and pulling that eight-year-old arm out of that body? I'll tell you what. When you see graphic things like that in our world, it makes these Proverbs come alive. A man whose teeth are just like swords, just like the, the jaw teeth of a pit bull, like knives. And what is their purpose? To devour the afflicted from the earth and the needy from among men. It's like someone who's defenseless, someone who can't defend themselves. I would have been utterly defenseless if I had tried to do anything with that pit bull. And Mike, I mean, what, what would he have done? A fist, a, a shoe, what? Two, three thousand pounds of locked jaw pressure on the back of my leg? There's nothing. Did you read about that story of the eight-year-old or ten-year-old boy? I guess it was. My son Logan and I were driving down the road. We heard the radio uh, news of a ten-year-old boy, I think it was in Wisconsin, driving down a street, and a guy was walking a pit bull. And the pit bull came up and pulled the boy off the bike and ripped both of his ears off. There was nothing anyone could do. And you look at that and you say, you know, Lord, you give us pictures like that in our minds so that we can understand your truth like this. Someone who's needy, someone who's defenseless, someone who can't care for their own needs, and some man comes along and he devours them like the jaw teeth of a pit bull, like, like a shark. And you know what that means? That means that that's the very kind of thing you're teaching your kids to do if you don't speak righteous words to them. If you don't tell them with your speech, don't go there, don't do that, do not consent. If that sinner comes your way, run, flee. If he tells you, come, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us injure the innocent without cause. Let us drive them to Sheol even whole as they go down to the pit. Come with us. Murder and treachery. I guess the summary of, of it all is this proverb in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8a. Keep deception and lies far from me. Well, that's a, that's a great prayer. Lord, keep deception and lies far from me. That's a great prayer request as a parent, isn't it? Lord, keep lies and deceptions far from my children. Or, if you have the appropriate shock that is described in chapter 30 of Proverbs, the latter part of verse 32, if you have plotted evil, put your hand on your mouth. In other words, it's a proverb that's designed to shock you. Put your hand on your mouth if you've plotted to do evil. How shocking would it be that someone created in the image of God, someone designed to do the righteous deeds, is instead doing the opposite, planning, plotting evil. Put your hand on your mouth, be shocked, be dismayed. How could such a thing be? And beloved, this is difficult in our world. Billboards, radio, television, word of mouth, all kinds of speech, internet, letters, magazines, DVDs. 
CDs. But we are flooded with words, flooded with speech. And most of it, I think we'd all admit, is not honoring to God. Most of it, not honoring to God. God has given us a wonderful thing by giving us all of these means of communication. And it can be used for righteous purposes, but it can also be used for unrighteous purposes. And frankly, most of it is unrighteous. How are we guarding our children? How are we using this? This is a great, great message. From the Word of God to our ears, speaking to us and saying, don't hang with the wrong crowd. Is that your commitment? Is that what you're all about? Is that what marks you? What do you allow in your ear gate? What do you allow in your eye gate? What do you allow through your mouth gate? It is a gate. Some things can be kept from coming in, and we must be wise and discerning as to what is coming out. Amen? Let's pray. Father, This is a penetrating message. It's a convicting one. It affects us all, our speech, our words, which then give way to actions. Lord, how are we doing? If I were to take a spiritual inventory of my life, how am I doing? What words do I use? What kind of speech do I use? Father, I pray for each and every one of us that this speech of ours, this talk, would be to warn, to encourage, to exhort, to examine, to challenge, to command for righteousness and purity and equity and justice so that we might be kinds of people that you want us to be, not enticed, not persuaded, not seduced. Lord, we agree it is a war of words, and we hope and we pray and we believe by your grace and your enablement that you will deliver us from the war of words. Give us victory. Give it to our children as we teach them and are taught by them. May the victory be ultimately redounding to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.